Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Their morals, their code. It's a bad joke. The psychology of cruelty. Drop at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you. When the ships are down, these, uh, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. Greatest cruelty happens when perpetrators forget their victims are human and treat them like trash. I think it's worse than that. Perpetrators can be cruel even when they remember the humanity of their victims. So what goes on in the minds of the truly cruel? Our guest is Paul Bloom, author of Against Empathy, The Case for Rational Compassion. The Psychology of Cruelty, coming up on Philosophy Talk. Are people cruel because they lack empathy? Is cruelty always a matter of seeing other people as if they're less than human? Or are there some who simply enjoy watching other people suffer? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Alison Gopnik, sitting in for Ken Taylor, who's away this week. We're here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing a conversation that spans the Bay. From Philosopher's Corner at Stanford, where Josh directs the Philosophy and Literature Initiative, to Berkeley, where I'm in the Psychology and Philosophy Departments. So it's great to have you here today, Alison. You know, I'm, I'm particularly happy that you're around today because you're a professional psychologist indeed a star psychologist, and, and today we're thinking about the psychology of cruelty. Great to be here, Josh. So, okay, so tell me if I'm wrong. Um, from what I can gather, when, when someone's really cruel, there, there's a problem with that person's empathy circuits. That's why you get all that violent and abusive behavior. Well, that's certainly one popular theory about cruelty. The idea is that when people are cruel to one another, there's a kind of empathy erosion. There's a basic failure to see the other person as if they're really human. And when we don't see the other person as human, it's much easier for us to treat them badly. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, so many awful examples of this, so the, the Holocaust, the Rwandan genocide. I mean, you know, in cases like that, victims often get characterized as, as cockroaches or vermin, things that need to be exterminated by the, by the perpetrators. Well, there's something to that, but, you know, I don't think it's the whole story. A cruelty isn't always driven by a lack of empathy. Think about road rage. But uh, doesn't road rage prove my point? I mean, look, we, you know, we, we all drive around in these uh, little metal boxes separated from each other. And, and so, you know, we often fail to recognize each other's humanity. So when somebody cuts you off, that's when the bad behavior begins. Yeah, but listen to what you just said, when someone cuts you off. Right. So so what? So it's a response to something that someone else has done, something mean to you. Road rage is reactive. It's not like as soon as you get behind the wheel of a car, you suddenly start being mean to every motorist you come across. <laughs> but if somebody cuts you off, if they're mean to you, that's a different story. With road rage, cruelty seems to be a reaction, a reaction to the mistreatment other people give you. Okay, yeah, but but don't you think the windshield has some effect, you know, on our ability to empathize with the other person? I mean, it, it creates distance between us, you know, the same way that our computer screens do. I mean, isn't that why we have so much nasty behavior online? So, Josh, you really think cruelty is just a failure to see other people as human? Well, yeah, I mean, look, I, I'll grant you road rage. I mean, maybe that's a case where people think they've been harmed. But what about online trolls? I mean, they do their trolling for fun, for a kind of sick, sadistic satisfaction. I mean, sure, surely that's a case where it's really all about dehumanization. 
I'm still not convinced. Why not? Well, because trolls are trying to get a rise out of the other person. They're trying to provoke an emotional reaction. Okay, so what follows from that? Well, what that means is that they know that the other person's human. In fact, they're exploiting the human emotions of the other person to get their sadistic thrills. It's just because the victim's human and has a human emotional reaction that uh, the troll can make them suffer. Okay, that that's a good point. But let, let me try one last pushback. Surely these trolls are still lacking in empathy. Well, it depends what you mean by empathy. If you mean caring and compassion, okay. But if you just mean being able to tune into other people's feelings, to understand how other people feel, well, I'm afraid that's exactly what the trolls are doing. Sadists are great at knowing what the other person's feeling. That's precisely how they get to torture them so effectively. I, I, I knew I shouldn't have gotten myself into a debate with a psychologist about the psychology of cruelty. I, I bet you've enjoyed tormenting me, Alison. Oh, but I knew exactly how you would feel, Josh. Oh, touche. <laughs> well, we clearly have some work to do before we have a good sense of what's going on when people are cruel to each other. For example, when they troll each other online. Is online harassment about dehumanization? Or is it a reaction to injury? Or is it just the enjoyment of seeing other people suffer? We sent our roving philosophical reporter, Liza Veal, to find out. She files this report. And just a quick heads up, uh, the report covers some somewhat delicate ground, so listener discretion is advised. Rafaela Guns was in her early 20s when she started managing a private feminist Facebook group. It was around 400 members, all trying to make sense of their experiences of gender-based exploitation. Some people would discuss personal things, like being raped or something like that. Some people would just share articles for discussion. But it was just like a small, sort of like close-knit group. This is one of the things the internet does best. It gives us a way out of isolation and shame. But then, in 2016, a much larger Facebook group called Anti-Social Justice Warriors infiltrated Guns' group. Apparently, this is the anti-SJW group's MO. They sort of plan attacks on certain groups. Like, they'll be in their own group being like, oh, look at this group, let's all make fake accounts and take screenshots back to our group and laugh at them. They infiltrated and then fed private posts back to their anti-SJW group, to people bent on mocking and humiliating the post's authors. This kind of cruelty is the other thing the internet does best. Here are some examples of what the anti-SJW YouTube world sounds like, though honestly, it's gotten a lot more tame in the last two years due to YouTube censoring. Let's face it, you don't have to be a cishet white male. SJWs are triggered and offended by basically everything that exists. Never can she ever have a counterpoint brought to her attention. Never can something like that be said, because if she's ever questioned, then you're a misogynist and you're a sexist. Carrots? Too phallic. They reinforce gender norms. Wall sockets? Look how they are violated against their will by plugs. And the plugs derive power from this act of electric rape. And as for the death threats that she receives, I say this. Don't bother. You want to know why? This is getting off on it. When Guns tried to get the anti-SJW Facebook group shut down for infiltration, its members began targeting her specifically. And it went on for months. Like, there's this one guy who made, like, mean YouTube videos about me. They did elaborate pranks like pretending to be a worried friend of hers and sending emails to her mother and school guidance counselor warning that she was suicidal, presumably hoping to freak them out or even get her institutionalized. They also found Guns' writing about her experience with genital herpes. They were sort of using that as fuel against me, calling me like herpes riddled dirtbag and like herpes infected 
If the harassment was just words online, she could have tried to brush it off, but there was no way to know if the trolls constituted a threat in real, physical life. They're probably sad, empathetic people. But then again, like, there are a lot of these, like, men's rights activist types who do have history of, you know, domestic violence and, and misogyny and things like that. It's really a gamble. Like, it could just be some kid wanting to be an asshole because he's bored, or it could be some grown man who's, you know, seriously disturbed and, like, really hates women. Guns was most worried about being doxxed, that they'd find her identifying information, like her address, and put it online. Then any deranged, violent person would be able to find her. She became paranoid and anxious and full of rage. You can sit behind a keyboard and type what you want, and when you press send, like, you're sort of off the hook from seeing the person on the other end's reaction to it. I don't think that they fully grasp there is like a living, breathing person on the other end reading their horrible, vile comments. The anti-SJW world is not the internet's only source of cruelty. In social justice spaces themselves, Guns has experienced the prevailing ethic of call-out culture to be, if you're not perfectly in line with us, you deserve the full extent of the internet's wrath. Get dragged, you're canceled. For example, there was a girl who had like a, a Chinese prom dress and she was white. So then people started harassing her on Twitter. And you know, a lot of it's like really uncalled for. Like, I don't think that that girl, like whether or not her prom dress was culturally appropriative is kind of irrelevant. I don't think she deserved to have random strangers on the internet harass her for it. Publicly calling people out like this, dunking on them, owning them, getting them wrecked, to use internet parlance, that's what's rewarded in a lot of internet communities. So are these hecklers mostly just after those likes, regardless of the suffering it causes? Or is witnessing the suffering itself the reward? For Philosophy Talk, I'm Liza Veal. To hear the rest of this program, head over to philosophytalk.org. Thank you for listening. And thank you for thinking.